Thank you for downloading the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast. You can find more helpful advice at focusonthefamily.com slash parentingpodcast. You know, there are a lot of unhealthy behaviors that are pretty easy to spot in a teen if they're exploding in anger or they're just laying around unmotivated. But you might not always notice when your teen is struggling with perfectionism. Uh, I'm thinking of a teenager who has straight A's. They're involved in every school and church activity. It looks like they're doing great from the outside, but inside, maybe a different story. I'm John Fuller, joined by Dr. Danny Huerta. He heads up our parenting and youth department here at Focus on the Family. And Danny, uh, describe why parents should be aware of this concept of perfectionism and how it might be um, in their kid, driving them to do things, and it's really not healthy. It really is not, John. I mean, that, it's, it's so much pressure. It can create an overwhelming amount of anxiety. And for some, it may create uh, uh, such stress that they develop a, a disorder from it. Uh, they, they can't function well. They're like trying what to kind be of people disorder pleasers. are you thinking? Well, anxiety. I mean, anxiety. I have, to, I have to perform a certain way in order to have any worth or to find love. They mm. want to manufacture love. Or, on the other hand, they may completely avoid things to avoid failure. There are many perfectionists that end up saying, well, if I can't do it perfectly, I just won't do it at all mm. because I don't want to deal with failure. I don't want to do it. And uh, those we don't see as much, perfectionists many times get praised. Mm. They say, man, fantastic job. And 30% of the population struggles with perfectionism. Mm. And with gifted and talented kids, it's close to 80%. Wow. And in perfectionism, what, what ends up happening is is you have such pressure that it becomes all-consuming, and you're trying to control everything, and, and at some point, you just there's, there's a, a breakdown of that, It'll especially when there's you. a failure. Yeah. 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 Well, let's go ahead and hear more about this and other unhealthy behaviors in your kids. Uh, Jim Daly and I had a conversation with Michael Anderson and Dr. Timothy Johansson. Talk about the role that our faith should play within this kind of dynamic. How, how does our faith feed into this? Um, you know, your teenager, if they have that commitment to Christ, they must be having an incredible struggle inside their hearts because they're behaving in ways that they know are not um, helpful and are not pleasing the Lord. They're wise enough to understand that, yet they're by training, they've defaulted to this kind of behavior where they may rage or they may speak disrespectfully, whatever it might be. How do you help connect those dots as a parent for that child? The first thing I would say is parents shouldn't panic in that situation. It's hard not to do It's though. hard not to, but we have certain behavioral expectations that are based on our faith and what we read in Scripture. And when that's not happening, I think one of our first impulses of, as parents is to panic. Our kid is not behaving in the way that God really intends them to behave. And now, are they falling away from the faith? Are we, you know, we go to these next levels of thinking and almost overthinking things. And each of our kids went through periods of time where their behavior was like, what has happened? Who are they? You know? <laughs> It, it, so you had the experience, too. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think my wife and I had to talk a lot about waiting, watching, observing, praying diligently for each of them in those stages where they weren't behaving the way that, that we expected them to behave. Uh, and to not just intervene and rush in and, and get mad. Um, just know well, that they're going through periods of time of development. The adolescent brain is 
unbelievable right. what happens between the ages of 12 and 25. It's incredible. And again, these are protection modalities that we're talking about. They're yes. trying to protect something. They're insecure. They live in a comparative culture. They don't know what direction. They're afraid of growing up. All, all of the these, responsibility. All of these things yeah. are daunting to most teenagers. Mm. And uh, teenagers who say that they're not afraid of growing up may not be telling the complete truth. And we see the the ones like rage and um, withdrawal as being a bigger concern, but perfectionism is a concern too. Mm. And you see a kid that's a valedictorian or something, and they can't live with making a mistake. And that should be just as big a concern to a parent as something else. Yeah, I can remember somebody gave some advice. You know, if you have that straight A student, you might want to let them know if they should get a B, that's going to be okay. And uh, I had that situation, and the biggest smile broke out on my one son's face. It was like, it's okay. It's important to let some of that pressure out. They want, they naturally are high achievers, mm -hmm. but you've got to allow them to uh, know that failure within that right, proper context is maybe a healthy thing. So they'll learn things through that failure, right? I was speaking at a group of parents one time, and a mom raised her hand, and I was talking about working on one or two things at a time. And she raised her hand and she said, I don't know what to work on with my daughter. And um, I said, tell me about her. And she said, well, she's an A student and she plays violin and she's the head of her youth group. And she stopped talking and she started to tear up. And she said, my daughter knows nothing about failure. And I didn't even have to answer her question. She answered it herself. Right. And that's a difficult thing if your child has never experienced failure and had to struggle through that. That's a good life lesson. Yeah, it is. And uh, that's that's so important. And, and can I ask a follow-up on that, uh, Michael? Because I'm curious, what did you tell her? I mean, she came to that, that point of saying, my child doesn't know how to fail, but did you encourage her to put her into a circumstance where she could, or what happens there? I didn't because she just, I saw the light bulb of comprehension go off in her brain. And so it wasn't a setting, but it's a very good question she could have asked. And I think it would have been a good conversation to say, you know, you're doing wonderful in life, but the thing I'm concerned about is you can't make it through life without failure or resilience. And I don't think you've experienced that much. So do you go off and seek an opportunity then or just have your yeah. eyes open for that? Well, I think to have your eyes open, but if you could collectively go and say, let's push you a little farther, you know? I mean, a kid that doesn't fail in normal life might fail, experience failure at MIT or Harvard or something like that. So you can push them harder and get them into a community drama or a higher level of sports and let them know that's why you're doing that mm. because they need to experience failure. This is an example that Mike talked about several years ago when we first started this whole manuscript um, about a really high-performing, high-achieving kid who's got straight A's. And it's clearly that perfectionism is coming out with anxiety and, and issues like that. Michael tells a story about uh, asking the parents to pay them $100 not to study for final exams. <laughs> that's, counterintuitive. that's counterintuitive. That's <laughs> counterintuitive. But that's what the kid needed to hear is yeah. – I will reward you for not overdoing the studying thing anymore. You know, again, right now parents are shaking their heads because they may have that high-achieving child and uh, they're doing well, but they're missing, the parent is missing what you're talking about. Where that's coming from. Why is it so critical? 
I mean, we've hit it, but I want to hear it again. Why is it so critical for that 16, 17-year-old girl who's doing well, is on honor roll every semester? Why does she need to feel um, well, to inadequate? Un- to understand that, in my mind, you have to understand that both the high school dropout and the valedictorian can be shame-based. And shame is really a silent killer in our culture. And what the antidote to shame is living in the middle. I tell people that come to me that want to work on shame that every day they need to tell themselves that they're not as good a person as they think they are on the days they think they're good, and they're not as bad a person as they think they are on the days they think they're bad. And when we live in the middle, we can grace ourselves, and we can realize that we're not going to go through a day or a week perfect and we can forgive ourselves. And when we use perfectionism to self-protect, we get in what is called a positive shame cycle. And that's a person that doesn't feel shame because they're working so hard to not tell the truth about themselves to themselves. Some really good insights from Michael and Timothy. And Danny, um, two things. One, is there such a thing as healthy perfectionism? Um, or maybe some healthy aspects to perfectionism. And then two, uh, help us deal with kids who are just struggling because perfectionism is either shutting them down or it's driving them to exhaustion or anxiety, as you indicated earlier. I would really say that there's a maturing perfectionism where there are perfectionists that begin to learn how to function with Mm -hmm. that and bring excellence. I would call it more excellence to their work. And they've learned to take failure as an opportunity to learn an opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. With perfectionists that are unhealthy, they see failure as uh, an identity thing, that I have now failed, I can't be loved, there's something wrong with me, I can't believe I did that, I disappointed people. Maturing perfectionists know that, yeah, I'll fail sometimes, that makes me even stronger, Mm -hmm. and I want to bring excellence, I want to do this super well, and they strive for that, but they don't let it control their life and their functioning. Okay, so... um, the root of this perfectionism could be mom and or dad. Sure. So how do we... Never, John. How never. do we foster <laughs> and fuel an unhealthy perfectionism in our kids? What what do we do that tends to exacerbate the situation? Well, we, we bring uh, expectations to the moment. Perfectionism is bringing expectations that are unreasonable and unnecessary to to the moment because moments require the opportunity to love one another and the opportunity to fail and be imperfect. When I think of perfectionism in my own personal story, I remember a time with my daughter in, in her life. And it was third grade. I told her, hey, I'm going to be talking to your teachers today. It seems that they have some concerns about what's happening and you've been avoiding school and I want to figure out what's going on. And the teacher, I'll never forget this, she said, Danny, your, your daughter's really struggling with perfectionism. She wants to be totally perfect. Mm. And I had to pause for a moment, and she was right, absolutely right. And it was our own house. And we uh, talked about what could be done in the classroom and in our home to help our daughter learn to just laugh and enjoy life and know that she did not need to perform a certain way mm. to be loved. And what a transformation that was for our daughter. Now she still has that desire to have excellence, but she's learned to laugh. And so we had the teachers 
provide her the opportunity to connect with students in a different way. She told the joke of the day, and then other kids began to to rotate in. Yeah. And it showed that you can laugh and be loved just by being you and laugh together and be relational rather than needing to be perfect. Now, I, I, I'm having a hard time picturing your home not having fun and laughter as part of the everyday rhythms, but how did you react to that teacher with her insight? I mean, I'm assuming that there might have been some guilt on your part, like, oops. (laughs) She was, actually, no, there's, she's naturally, she was naturally born a little bit more on the anxious side. She had an anxious temperament. And when you're anxious, you want to control everything, Mm -hmm. because then you can calm down. And so I think I responded with, with compassion. And then, hey, we need to really help free her of needing to do this early on. Let's yeah. do this now. So it was, it was great to join with a teacher and to go there uh, and to begin to talk about how, how can we develop empathy, humility, and compassion in, in, in my daughter. And, and we joined forces in that. And still, we ask our daughter, hey, do you really need to be perfect at this? Yeah. And why? I appreciate uh, so much of what you've shared there, and I'm identifying with the collaborative spirit with those in the education world. Uh, Those people that spend time with your kids know them. They get insights that you don't always get, particularly when they're teenagers. Um, So work with those other adults, and something we've talked about here at Focus, Mm -hmm. you know, pray for godly influences along the way, particularly when your kids are older and they don't want to listen to you. Um, You want really good people in in their lives. We'll follow up on our conversation with uh, Dr. Timothy Johansson and Michael Anderson and with Danny. Uh, we've got a variety of resources for you at the website, and certainly uh, two things of note. One, our free parenting assessment. It takes just five to seven minutes. Fill that out. Find out how you're doing as a mom or a dad. And then two, if you can donate to the work of Focus to help us continue producing podcasts and to have such a robust parenting website like we do, Um, we'll say thank you for joining our support team, a gift of any amount, um, by sending a copy of the book, GIST, The Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids. It is a tremendous resource. I've got it, I've referred to it, I've recommended it, and I highly recommend it to you, GIST, The Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids. Call us to donate and learn more, 800-A-FAMILY, or stop by the episode notes for all the details. Well, next time, practical strategies for persevering through difficult stages like the terrible twos. I'm John Fuller, and on behalf of Dr. Danny Huerta and the entire team, thanks for listening to the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast.